Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact in our area. I'm your host, Nick Carissimi. Today we are talking about an organization called Valiant Hearts. In studio with me is their CEO and founder, Carrie Gurley. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Nick? I'm doing great. Um, I'm really glad to have have you in studio. This is Thank an organization you. that works on a very serious subject, um, but I think that you are going to be the best person to put it into words. So tell me about Valiant Hearts. What do you guys do? Who are you? Okay. So Valiant Hearts is an organization that has been working right here locally in the DFW area since 2010. And our mission is to help eradicate sexual exploitation. And that seems kind of lofty, but um, I wouldn't assign my whole life purpose to something small anyway. So I love our mission. And um, like I said, we've been working right here in the DFW area trying to help women who have been sex trafficked or exploited um, right in your own neighborhoods. And also we develop programs to help men who maybe are battling that porn and sex addiction and want some help getting out of that. And then doing prevention programs for youth um, in schools in the DFW area. And then also a program for the families that have a child who has been sex trafficked. That's a, a nightmare of a journey for parents to have to walk. So we come around them and offer support as well. And then we work internationally um, helping traffic victims around the world. We've got a lot to cover today. Yes. Of all the things that you could have devoted your life to, as you said, right. why this? Yes. It, it's uh, one of those things, the best way to describe it is I was born on this battlefield. I didn't choose it. And so it kind of was an assignment I think I didn't realize until later on in life. But um, this is my own personal journey. Uh, I didn't realize growing up that there was something way wrong in my home. I knew that something wasn't normal, but it's always behind the scenes. And growing up, um, I began to see signs of things in my own father that were very unhealthy. Over time, I uh, ended up that he had a horrific addiction to pornography that led him down a very dark path um, to where he began sexually abusing children. So in 2014, I was asked to participate in the investigation against my own father to help uh, the victims that he, um, he had harmed. So my dad is now in prison. He will be the rest of his life for the things that he's done. And um, as much as I hate that because it's still my father at the end of the day, it was the right thing to do, and he's where he needs to be. But um, at the same time, I, I don't want my dad to stay that person, you know. So I think that, like I said, it was one of those things I didn't really know what my calling or purpose was. It, I just kind of have always been in this arena in one way or another without even recognizing it. So now I feel like I have the opportunity to make a difference and to undo some of the things that my own father did. Um, I now get to help the people that he harmed and also help others to maybe not go down that path. You started the organization in 2010. This court case wasn't until 2014. Yes. So the organization was actually originally called We Are Cherished. It was started by a woman named Polly Wright. 
and her background, um, she used to be a stripper, and she really felt like she needed to go back for the women that were still trapped in that lifestyle, that wanted out, that just didn't have a way out. So she started going into every strip club in DFW, taking gifts to all the women, which we still do to this day. There's about almost 40 strip clubs in the DFW area, so we have teams that go um, into every club. We take about 1,500 gifts into the clubs, and we meet with the women in the dressing rooms and let them know, hey, we're here if you need help and support. We have a weekly support group. You're going to get a gas car to pay for your gas. you got free childcare and a free home-cooked meal, so show up. And they they started showing up. And so um, so she originally started this organization um, doing outreaches into the strip clubs of DFW. And I just started volunteering because this is the other part of why I'm here today. Um, in 2004, I was just a stay-at-home mom with my kids, and I'm literally at home one day. There is a my doorbell is ringing. I go and there are three women standing at my door. I didn't know them. And they said, we were told that if we came here, you would be nice to us, which was the oddest introduction ever. And I'm like, who told you to come to my house and why are you here? They weren't selling anything. It was just odd. So I was like, okay, well, come on in. And they said, we are all strippers at a club in, in Fort Worth and we want out. We don't know how to get out. And we were told that if you came, if we came here, you would be nice and maybe you could help us. Like, why in the world would people show up literally at my front door, you know? And yeah. I didn't know how to help them, but I'm like, hey, I'm here. And they said, we want to know. They were on a journey, like a faith journey. They really wanted to know about God. And they were like, will you help us? I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> so who just, told them about you? They had gone to a church to get financial help. And someone at that church gave them my contact, like literally my address and my name. I have no idea who that person was, but these ladies show up. So I was meeting with them every week. They were coming to my home, and I just had a heart for them. And, it's again, it's one of those things it's not hard to figure out if maybe you're supposed to do something when people show up on your front literally door. Literally show like, up on your doorstep. literally at your front door. And it's one of those, I think a lot of times people are like, well, I wasn't a you know stripper or I've never been a traffic victim, so what qualifies me? Like, there was nothing other than people literally showed up at my door, and I went, okay, well, if you're here, then I'll do what I can to help you. Do you still, do you guys still go to the clubs? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We just went in June. How do the like, how do we owners get feel about this? Is <laughs> it one of those things where it's like, us. go ahead, whatever, they do not like this, or how yeah, does that do. work? We get into 95% of the clubs. We built good relationships with the owners. Um, there was actually a club that I go, it's on my route. Um, in Dallas, and their owner was uh, just died this past month, and we happened to be there at the very moment that they found out. And so, we're in the dressing room with you know the house mom and the ladies when they're getting this news, and you know, so we're able to let them know, hey, if y'all need any help, if you need counseling or anything like that, let us know. And we're sending them gift baskets later, just letting them know, hey, we're here if you need anything. So we have a good relationship. They know that we're we're not there to judge them. We're just there going, hey, if you need help, then let us do what we can to help you out. When do you go? We I go mean, on Friday it's... nights because we want to go when it's busiest. Um, so like it's full tilt. Like oh, it's yeah. Hap- yeah. It's not like before or after. No, it's no, closed. it's straight it's like... up in the middle of, yeah. <laughs> and you just walk to the back I, with all your stuff? I go to the front and I um, speak to the girl at the desk and ask to speak to the manager and the manager comes out, and I say, sir, may I have permission to take these gifts to the dressing room? Here's a Starbucks gift card to thank you for letting us come into your establishment. And here's some 
you know, we give out like Red Bull to all the bouncers and valet guys. And I mean, we're just there to love on them and they know it. So they like us. <laughs> I, I think for most people that are listening, you would it would seem like you would be doing something more than just being nice. This is the mm-hmm. second time that this has come up. Was that always mm-hmm. your approach or is that something that you had to learn as you were doing it? I think that maybe we underestimate the power of kindness and the fact that we value people and they can tell. Someone can tell if you're looking through them or past them or if you're actually valuing them as a human being. And when we take the time to do that, um, and that's really my, the DNA and every time my teams go out, I'm like, we are to be a tangible expression of love. Because if people encounter that, they're going to feel safe with us. They're going to trust us. And if they need help, they'll call us. Do you have girls that continue to work in these clubs, but then still be a part of the organization yeah, yeah. just to get an emotional support oh, yeah. system of some kind, even though they're still in that life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we never tell a woman that, you know, in order to be a part of this program, you have to leave because that just removes her choice. And then we're still operating and trying to control another person and control their lives. Yeah. So that's it's just an invitation in their gift bag. um, We have you know, we give them bracelets. They love the bracelets that we buy and lip gloss that has our you know information on it if they want to get in touch with us. And it's just little gifts. And in there, there's an invitation card that lets them know about the weekly support group. And uh, has our contact and lets them know, hey, we're here and you can show up anytime. And so it's it's very non-threatening and it's not uh, something that if you come to support group, doesn't mean you have to leave the industry. It just means that now you have a group of people surrounding you that love you. And we're here. If you want to take some different steps, if you're like, hey, I don't really want to be here anymore. But now my resume just says Rick's Cabaret. You know, like, what do you do? It's a huge constraint to be able to move forward and take another step in life. So that's what we help them with. We help with resume building, job placement, getting GED. I mean, all of that. Are a lot of these girls educated? Uh, it just varies. Um, we, with the women that, uh, because we are, obviously we do outreach into all the strip clubs, and that's one way that we're able to meet women. Um, and again, you have prostitution, trafficking, all that happening through uh, those different arenas. And so you, you're you meeting a lot of different populations in one location, which is why we like that. And it's not the case with all of it, but it is happening. Um, but then we also are in partnership with like Fort Worth PD, Homeland Security, um, Tarrant County Sheriff's Department. And so if they receive, um, you know, information that there's a woman that is in trouble or needs help, and if she's 17 and older, then uh, we're the organization that they, they can contact to help with that. And um, so we also have we have an emergency shelter. We have a safe house, things like that, that um, we're able to get a woman who is in danger immediately into a safe location. So there's a lot of organized crime that goes along with this mm-hmm. stuff, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I have read and correct me if I'm wrong. I read a long time ago that Dallas is actually kind of a major hub for sex yes. trafficking, yes. like with a lot yes. of the massage parlors yes. and stuff like yes. that. Um, that is accurate. <laughs> how does how does Dallas of all cities become kind of a mecca for something right. like this? I know it's always been interesting and fascinating to me because we're kind of known as the Bible Belt, and I tell people we have yeah. more churches and strip clubs on every corner than any other city. Um, they just kind of coexist. But um, but when you look at um, what has always historically allowed for trafficking of any kind to happen of weapons, drugs, and now humans, you have to have ports of entry, um, major 
airports, you have major highways, um, you have all of those things that are just um, going to exist here in our city. And so that's one part of it. It's just the the transportation opportunities that are happening through through the Dallas Fort Worth area. So it's almost geographical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they use the same lanes for trafficking humans that they've always used for drugs and weapons. You don't change the lanes if it works. So it's the same with trafficking humans. And then when you look at uh, nationwide, Texas ranks second in the nation for most reported sex trafficking incidences, and then Dallas is second in the state of Texas behind Houston. So again, because we're in this Bible Belt mindset, a lot of times people don't think that's happening here. It's not in my neighborhood. And I'm telling you, I'm working with, I just got two girls in, 19-year-olds this week that we're working with that are from right here. How do these places operate, continue to operate? There's a few areas in town that I drive past and it's, obvious Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's going on right you know people aren't showing up at these places because they have tight shoulders (laughs) you know what i'm saying like (laughs) we're not dealing with racquetball injuries right Right. um right but it's it's plain as day Mm -hmm. so how does this stuff is it because it's Mm -hmm. organized crime like does it go deeper Yes, these are, are there all things very you, loaded are questions. Things that you, are there things that you can't talk about or prefer not to talk about? Um, I would say that there are things that are above my pay grade, first of all, but I am aware that they exist. Um, when you start talking about things that are happening in the dark web, um, it is very much organized crime. It's going to be um, you know, gang-related, things like that. That's what you're dealing with. Um, each of the different organized crime groups have a different model that they operate by. So... When you understand those models, then you can understand the variety of ways that they're trafficking right through our own city, whether that be, you know, the Chinese model or the, you know, the, the gang model here or what you have with, you know, there's just a Do lot of Do you know different the different models. models? I'm familiar with them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when you look at the, the massage parlors are, that is the fastest growing way to traffic humans. Because they'll be at one location for maybe two weeks, and then they're moved to another city to work for two weeks there. Then they're moved to another location so that it's very difficult to keep up. So when you look at law enforcement, because that's one of the, you know, the um, entities that has to be involved in this to make an impact, you know, that's very difficult with the workload they already have to keep up with that. Yeah. And then this is one of the things when I talked to um, a, a police department um, in the— Tarrant County area. And I was asking them the same question you just asked me, like, why aren't we doing something? And they said, well, what are we going to do with them? Where are we going to take all these victims? So we know that there are 90 girls being held in this place. It's like a warehouse with a storefront where it's massages. Okay. They're kept there. They never see the light of day. Where are we going to take these 90 girls? They're brought here. They have no identities now because those were all taken all of their you know paperwork was taken before they don't have possession of any of that they don't necessarily speak the language where can we take them are there enough restoration programs here absolutely not so there's a whole continuum of care of things that have to happen all along the way to even conduct a rescue and be able to follow through with that and this is the model that you found that works at least currently Mm mm-hmm do you know how to log on to the dark web? 
No. I, you I hear do, so. I always. I mean, I've sat through some training on it, <laughs> and I was like, I just don't want to go there. I mean, what I if am, I get like, like what I if they now kind, tag me as some I person to watch? Kind of, I am kind of joking <laughs> know, about it. I know. But, but the thing is, is that I work in a newsroom, <laughs> mm-hmm. and this term gets used more and more and more. Yes. And if you threw me a laptop and said, mm-hmm. Dark web time, dude. I would not know how right. to how to access that. Right. So I, you know, yeah, just... yeah. It's definitely beyond a Google search uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely beyond that. But yeah, I sat through some training recently. They had the um, conference on crimes against women, and of course, I love going to the law enforcement ones. Yeah, uh, those tracks, and uh, really sharp guy teaching us how to do that. And I was like, I don't think I want to know. <laughs> I don't want to be in yeah. there and get myself in trouble. <laughs> um, Carrie Gurley is the CEO and founder of Valiant Hearts. You can find them online at valianthearts.org. You started this organization in 2010. It has grown yes. a lot yes. over the last eight years. When did you really hit a growth spurt? When did this organization become kind of go from a personal passion to the organization yeah. that it is now? Right. Because you guys are international. You're doing a lot of work yes. for a lot of different people. Yeah. So in um, in 2014, that is uh, that's when I was hired by this organization. I came on as the case manager, um, and got to work with the women, hear all their stories. Loved being the case manager. Six short months later, they asked me to be the executive director. I was like, "Wow, okay, that was quick." <laughs> and so, but you know, I was like, "Whatever y'all need me to do, I'll figure it out and I'll do it because I, I believe in this organization." I didn't realize that the the former founder was she was really burned out and she was ready to kind of move out of that role, and so she ended up stepping away from the organization. And she still writes and speaks and and is an advocate and she's powerful. And um, but they that's when the board came to me and they said, okay, we believe that you're here for a reason and we want to know what the vision is that you have. So, and um, that's when I really spent some time praying, going, okay, like why oh, am I say, here? Was that a scary question for you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was really confident in executing someone else's vision, uh, but when it came to really having to go, okay, I'm now in, in this position, and I didn't really ask for it or seek it. It just kind of found me, which is, seems to be how this kept happening. <laughs> and um, anyhow, so I really spent the next 30 days just going, okay, what, what do I see? And based on my own story of seeing how this impacts the entire family unit because of what I experienced with my own father. I realized that if we, it was like we just needed to step upstream. And that's what I felt like I was seeing, that if we would move upstream and we would begin to affect things on a demand level, reach the hearts of men where the demand is even being created, then just think about this. One man who's battling an addiction to pornography, how many images of women do you think he looks at per day? This is kind of Just something that I wanted that. to ask about. Define pornography addiction. What is a, an addiction? When does it go right. to that level? Right. And this is really um, comparable to any addiction. It is that compulsive behavior that begins to affect your life so that you are not able to, um, you know, if someone who's addicted to, to cigarettes, right, like, you're going to feel it. You're going to have a, a physical response when that kicks in and you have that need. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that this affects you on on the same kind of wavelengths. And so they've actually found that pornography is 10 times more addictive than cocaine. So that how it's affecting our brains. And that's what I want people to understand is that this isn't even I don't look at men as the problem and going, oh, my gosh, men are evil. And we men are our solution. Like 
y'all are made to be the protectors, the defenders. Like, that's just what you are and what you do. And that's what, as women, me, I mean, I'm a pretty strong, independent woman. I'm not, I don't scare easy. But there's still, when I go to Iraq to work with victims of ISIS, I, I don't just walk up in Iraq by myself. I have men who are former military, FBI, CIA. That's who I go with. Right. Because that's they represent something for me. Mm-hmm. That's who I believe men are. But when you look at this issue of, of pornography, it kind of has it's just created these. I mean, there's neuropathways that get affected in the brain. It's just the way that's the brain science part of it. So it is very addictive and it begins to control um, someone's ability to function normally in relationships, on the job, all of those things. So you take a man who's literally it's a compulsive behavior at this point. You think about how many images he's taking in every single day. Just one man, right? If he gets to a point where that's no longer something he's battling and it's not that compulsive behavior anymore, how many women are no longer being demanded, right? Just one man. So I'm like, if we backed up and we help men connect with a real woman, right, like a real person, um, and experience what they really long for, which is truly to be admired, respected, connected to. Uh, when they're experiencing that, then the desire for these other things is not going to be as strong anyway. So I think that that's one of the solutions, that we provide a solution for men to be able to get free from that and to have support with no judgment. We're here to help you, right? So that was one of the things. And so, and then I'm like, how much cheaper is it to do prevention than restoration? If we can reach teenagers before they are in the throes of this, before I'm working with a 17-year-old girl who's been trafficked straight out of her high school, right? If we can help her understand how she's being groomed, what that process looks like, the fact that one in five kids are being approached online by sexual predators, helping them understand that, then we're preventing this from ever even occurring. One in five one in five. So that's one in five of all children because mm-hmm. basically everybody's on the internet now. Yes, yeah. Has the internet just completely put this whole arena into overdrive? Yes, absolutely. <sighs> yeah, you can't. It's way different than when I was growing up and somebody had to have an uncle that had a stash of magazines somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now right. it's like every kid with a phone is not only is it accessible to them, but they are accessible to the predators. It's yeah. and it's so different because there would have had to have been an actual person showing up in the flesh to take our children. And that's not the way this happens. It happens online. I would say just across the board that these are things that people don't talk about right. openly. Right. Okay. So you are trying to deal with the darkest mm-hmm. possible subject matter, but even in a good sense, like yeah. in a healthy relationship, good thing. No one ever talks about sexuality right. at all. Yeah. So the idea of talking about this kind of stuff with strangers or people you don't really know well, yeah. even people that you do know, no one talks about this stuff. And then you take aberrant behavior, things that are mm-hmm. not good from something that is not discussed. How hard is it to actually get to the root of these problems and actually help people? Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be, would your job be easier if people were a little bit more open to discussing these things? Oh, yeah. Uh, we we really want to have a um, persona for the world to see, you know, yeah. that we can feel good about. The reality is you open up the front door of any American family today, 
I guarantee you this is impacting them, every single family. If you have a computer, if you have a smartphone, if you have a television, you have already been exposed. Your kids have potentially already been approached, whether they knew it or not. It's just a reality, and we're still not talking about it, even though every family in America is, I wouldn't even say indirectly, I would say directly impacted by this on some level. And for us to not talk about it, we're just going to continue to be behind on being able to provide the solutions. And I love the fact that we have with our teenagers, the challengers, they have their own social media platforms. We gave them their own platforms. We're like, here's your Instagram, here's your Facebook through our organization. You now have the opportunity in the platform to create messaging for your peers that can encourage and educate them. Because what they're getting right now through the very same platforms is being approached by those those individuals who have ill intent toward them. And they're opening themselves up. There's so many girls that feel pressured now that I have to provide. This guy wants me to send him a picture of myself and guys you know, that people that they know or people that they don't know both because that's when you when we talk both. about sexual exploitation and all this stuff the dark web mm-hmm. we think of these strangers in a far off right, place right that's not really what you're dealing with no no it's very much a um it's just a whole different uh way that things are happening now because of what we have available through the internet and through the kids having access to each other in their phones and and it's not just this is one thing I want to be really clear about is that this is not just a, an issue for girls. This is happening just as often, I believe, to to boys, to teenage boys. I can't I have a teenage son. He's well, he's 18. And I can't tell you how many times he has been approached by women online. This is not just. Do you do you think it's actually women or do you think it's somebody else? Oh, there's no telling. There's no telling. I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter. You can can create any kind of profile to present yourself. That's my whole point. That is my point. Don't get me wrong. You never know who's on the other end. Their minds are so vulnerable. They don't even have the ability yet to discern reality from what's being presented to them. So they're so vulnerable. That's why I love getting into schools and doing prevention programs for youth and having these real conversations with them. Well, this goes for kids, but... Adults, too. Yes. And, and this goes for, I mean, we could have a the, that know. fake news conversation, the way that people are yes. duped online yes. or yes. anything like this. I know. Are you seeing that people are becoming more savvy, let's say, about what's on the Internet and how to process information? Or is it actually getting harder? I think both. I think everything you said. I think that we are more savvy and so we're those who have ill intent more savvy it's it's both and so i would say that it feels to me just in the lane that i work in that we're always behind on being able to produce positive um messaging and solutions it always feels like we're behind but you know what i get up every day motivated because there's a lot to do but i definitely feel like um Again, we have a situation with a 15-year-old girl. She's talking to a 17-year-old guy, right? There's his profile. Mm -hmm. She believes that's who he is. And he's telling her, 
hey, you're just the most wonderful girl I've ever met. I'm crazy about you. I'm so in love. Okay, this was a two-week online relationship. Never met each other, live in two different states, supposedly. How do you know, right? Mm -hmm. So this young girl is believing everything because she's 15. She doesn't know any different, right? So this conversation is happening, happening, happening. By the time, within just two weeks, when the mom finally grabs the phone and goes, there's something wrong, I have a feeling, right? Because moms have that gut thing. I have a feeling something's going on here. This was the stream of messages, okay? I just crossed through the state of Oklahoma. I'm now entering into Texas. I'm approaching the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. What's your address? When the mother took the phone. That was my daughter. And I'm telling you, she had no idea who she was talking to. I knew quite well. I said, look, you could be talking to a 40-year-old man that lives two miles down the road. You have no clue what you just did. And this is the thing. The this majority, actually happened? Yes, this happened to, your to daughter. my daughter when she was 15. She's 22 now. So this, that was years ago. Now, they are paying kids in schools a pimple say hey you go in befriend this person build up trust with them invite them over to your home and then they they pay them and they take the kid it's it's it, you i'm telling you we could go into this scary place of going oh my gosh i'm gonna lock my kids up this is how the do thing. you not do that though? right well for me it's i'm gonna be connected to my kids I'm in a relationship with them. We talk every day. I look at their faces, right? And not just, you know, make sure that their basic needs are met, but build a relationship of trust with my kids and then empower them, educate them, surround them well, make sure that they're not isolating. Those are things that we can all do as parents with our kids to make sure that they're not. And I mean, like I said, this was a two-week ordeal with my daughter, just two weeks' time, and she was about to give her address to some stranger that she met online. You're in a unique position to actually do something about that scenario. Did you do anything about that scenario? Yeah. Because if I had the contacts that you did, right. I would have been like, <laughs> yeah. boop, 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 and my deleted. address, <laughs> and it's you know DPD headquarters. Right. Right. So did you do something yeah. about it? I was able to do something about that. Yeah. Can you say what you did? Yeah. No? <laughs> well, I, I just think that... So the cloak and dagger aspects of what right. you're doing, was it something that you knew you were going to have to be a part of? Because you are you are living like you're like a TV show. You're almost <laughs> living seriously. You're living a double life. I met you in the lobby. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way that yeah. I would have guessed that you would have been traveling the world, saving mm -hmm. sex slaves, or that you would have been able to jump on a whiteboard and give me a diagram of how Chinese gangsters right. <laughs> sex traffic people. Right. Like it's right. crazy. I know, and I look like a very normal person. Super just normal. Don't know this because I'm on the radio. Like it, yeah. you, I mean, I would absolutely have no idea. Right. I mean, right. our initial conversation, I almost got to the point where I was going to ask if you had law enforcement or military mm -hmm. background. Do you? No, I don't. No. no. <laughs> but now all. you're a detective to a certain extent. You're an investigator. I have some for really sure. good um, partnering organizations uh, that we work with, so that is very helpful for what we do. Um, and I get to be an expert at what I do, which is the restoration piece. Um, that's what I love is doing the trauma care. I love being able to help people who need to get freedom in their life from the things that are holding them back. But then I have partnering organizations that are um, able to do the things that I need them to do. Why the hardest part, though? 
you are telling me that you are focusing on absolutely the hardest mm-hmm. part of this. Yes. You know, identifying a place where girls are, let's say, get the troops, go in, bring them out. Mm-hmm. Relatively easy, let's say. I mean, I'm kind of undercutting <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, but... there's a lot of operational stuff that goes into it, but yeah. But yeah, it's a clean cut. It has a clear ending. There's a beginning and an end to that yes, process. Yes. Okay? That's why I would define it as easy. Yes. Like law enforcement guys are right now like trying to <laughs> they snap want to their kill radios in half. Um, <laughs> Please be kind to us. <laughs> but you have the hard part. And I think that even law enforcement would agree that you are yeah. taking on the most difficult aspect yeah. of this. Why focus on that? Why not just work on getting them out and putting them in a shelter and being done with it? Um, because I want to affect generations and I want to affect society. Um, I don't want to just um, get someone free because being free technically and yet still having um, what I know that women who have experienced sexual abuse have PTSD at the same rates as men who have been in combat war. So when you look at what has happened emotionally, mentally, physically, all of that to an individual who has been forced to do things um, – 30 times a day, different men, some of them starting when they were 14 years old, then they need a lot of care. They need a lot of support because there's still a purpose for their life beyond that. That is not who they are. They don't want to be called victims. They're survivors. They want to thrive again, and they don't want that to be what defines them. So I am passionate about helping them rediscover who they were, before all of that happened and get back on that path and have successful lives Talk. generationally affecting the next generation and the next one. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 